Good morning, everybody. Everybody glad to be in church today? God is good. Oh, this, this crowd is going to be, this is my favorite service so far. Hands down. I can tell that right away. I can tell that right away. I love it. I love it. I'll probably be yelling at you to settle down. But anyway, at some point, it's awesome right now. I love, I love, I love, I love our church. I'm so grateful for the worship experience. I was like fighting back tears, crying, happy, you know, high-fiving, want to do a backflip, but I can't. All those things were going through me during worship. We're so blessed, and uh, may we not do anything to grieve the Spirit of God when He comes in the room. The Bible says He inhabits the praises of His people. And I'm proud of you guys getting to church on time, being a part of the worship experience, because the worship is the setup for the work. Can I have an Amen. It kind of just the water for the bread. Like you can't swallow, you can't digest what's coming if you're not just getting that, that experience in worship. And so we need the presence of God in every service. And I pray that uh, you come hungry. Amen? Let me pray for you as we get going um, and uh, transition. Father, for every person who's here, some even for the first time, I pray that you would speak to them in a personal way. Would you, you, there's nothing extraordinary about this message. What's extraordinary, Lord, is how you can anoint it. What's extraordinary, God, is how we can, uh, we can raise our expectation to receive something from God. It's our faith sometimes that brings the healing. And, and it's our cooperation with the power that's in God. But through faith, these things are possible. So I pray that you raise and elevate faith in Jesus' name. Take the lid off our lives in Jesus' name. Lord, we take the gloves off you, God. And we let you just have your way, show off, and just show up in a big way uh, through this through this message, this simple message. Use it for your, for your glory and for your purposes, Lord. And I thank you in advance. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. You know the rule. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Derek, and everybody calls me PD. And um, I am uh, the lead servant here, and I'm so glad to be with you uh, this morning. We're starting a new series, and our series is entitled Looking For... A leader, looking for a leader, okay? So we got a three-week series. This will culminate on Vision Sunday. I want to echo some things that my beautiful bride said, uh, one of them being small groups. Uh, just a quick plug for that. Um, I want to say, for me, this is a true, honest, authentic um, testimony. If it wasn't for small groups, I would not be standing here today. Small group changed my life. I learned how to pastor, actually minister, but grow even as a Christian by helping other people grow. And that happened in the context of a small group. The first small group uh, at Connect Church was on, tw I got to lead it with my wife, was at 21 Green Street here in Ashland. Uh, and it, it was just an incredible experience. We had people, uh, it started with just a very few people, and then it grew sometimes. We'd have 40, 50, or more people showing up at this little house. The cops would show up thinking we were having a party and something was going wrong. That's how bad it got sometimes. We had people, my wife could be leading in the living room, and I could be discipling somebody in the kitchen. Something could have been, you know, going on downstairs, and we're baptizing somebody in a tub upstairs. We had an incredible journey of faith uh, through small groups. So I want to strongly encourage you to take an opportunity to get out of the crowd, to get into community. We have 60 leaders committed to your spiritual growth and development. And uh, one-third of the groups as of beginning, before even first service uh, started, uh, one-third of the groups were already in attendance. And so I, I imagine they're going to uh, they're gonna fill up fast. And uh, just make, make, it, make it a priority. Um, it'll change your life. Amen? 
Well, as I kick off the series, I just want to go back, a little flashback uh, to uh, an experience I was thinking about just a couple days ago. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, there was a family that used to come to this church. My daddy started this church many years ago. And um, the, the Mueller family, my, wife, my mom will remember this and my wife as well, but particularly my mom. My best friend, his name was Greg. Greg had five, brothers and other, five other brothers and sisters, three boys, three girls in the house. And they lived in Concord, Carlisle, Massachusetts, which is uh, still to this day a very affluent area. And so whenever there was a sleepover and I could go stay at Greg's house, I was pumped because it was like going to Disney World for me back then. This house was massive. The yard was massive. Everything they had was just unbelievable. Greg's father was like a scientist. He was, I don't know, he was putting rockets on the moon or something. But an incredible person. And, uh, but I can remember like sleepovers were fire. But what one particular morning, I remember us waking up in the middle of the night. Not in the middle of the night. One morning we wake up, but something had happened in the middle of the night. And it, we were all at the uh, kitchen table shoveling, you know, I don't know, Fruit Loops and Fruity Pebbles or something. And back then, you know, I wasn't necessarily as healthy as I am today. But anyway, and all of a sudden, Marie, one of the sisters, says to Greg's middle brother, Eric, Eric, what was all of that last night? And of course, we all lean in like, what, 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 what? And she's like, what the heck? That was, what were you doing? And apparently, Eric has this real serious problem of sleepwalking in the middle of the night. And he wouldn't, of course, he wouldn't know it. And he would go all through the house. But what was peculiar for some of you who are sleepwalkers, you're like, yeah, what's the big deal? What was peculiar about Eric's behavior was he would go into different people's rooms. He would get down beside their bed, kneel beside their bed, and he would put his chin on his hands like this beside them. Like really creepy behavior. As if it wasn't, if that, as if that wasn't bad enough, what would end up happening is he would stay there asleep until they would open their eyes. And often in the night, you would hear somebody scream out, Eric, you know, or something like that. So this particular night, uh, Marie is the, 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 the victim and she wakes up and she's just like, Eric, what are you doing? And totally asleep. He just goes, in a British or some kind of foreign voice, he goes, watching you. Watching you. Let that ring in your ear. Like creepy, crazy behavior, okay? Anyway, the reason I tell you the moral of that story is basically this. You never know who's watching you when you're doing nothing. Unlike Eric, though, God is watching and looking for people who are getting something done. God is actually looking over the whole earth, the Bible says, looking for people whose hearts are fully surrendered and committed towards him. Look at our theme text for our series today, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says, God is always on alert. Day and night, you could say, constantly, everybody say constantly, on the lookout for people who are totally committed towards him. You know, sometimes a guy will ask a girl, what's your type? Because he's hoping he's the type. Sometimes the opposite is asked. But I want you to know God has a certain type that he's looking for. And the certain type that he's looking for is leaders. He's looking for leaders. God is on constant alert looking for leaders. I am the um, product of, uh, and the son of a preacher. You thought I was going to say son of something else, but I'm the son of a preacher. And, uh, but my daddy was also a businessman. 
So I was the son of a preacher, but I was also the son of a, of a successful businessman. My dad was a very successful in the marketplace, in life insurance. He was a life insurance executive, you know, and he got really close to, to the top of, uh, of this particular organization that he was a part of. He's also, he was a sole proprietor, entrepreneur. In fact, I considered him a serial entrepreneur. He was always, and my wife laughs at me today, uh, and now Devin and I have this kind of conversations that are happening a lot of times, but my, my dad was just this guy who was always thinking up the next thing that we could do, what we could do to, you know, f fix this or change that or, 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 you know, raise resources. My dad was just wired that way. In fact, we used to say behind the scenes as pastors when he was pastoring the church, like, is he a pastor or is he like, like, is, is he just this, this crazy leader? We used to say, dad, your dreams are our nightmares. Because he's always thinking out, we can do this, we can do this. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? And, and because of my upbringing, I have a passion for leadership, but also ministry. And so when I, when I got older, uh, kind of trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with my life, and everybody has that question, why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? I found that there was a struggle between the call of God on my life, and I thought that there were two things that could never marry, never could merge. I thought I couldn't be a marketplace leader, but also a, a, a ministry leader. I didn't think I could be a preacher, um, you know, pastor, for example, and a businessman. I, I just thought I had to choose between one or the other. And so it, it kind of uh, stunted me or slowed me down a little bit in the beginning. But nothing could be further from the truth. They actually, uh, leadership and ministry actually coexist. They're connected. Are you with me, everybody? In other words, to be a successful person in life, uh, in character, and in competency, in career, uh, you're going to have to be a good leader. And God is looking for, constantly looking for leaders. And, and then I get into ministry, and I have found that Nothing has developed me more, and this, and this is a, an encouragement to those of you who aspire to grow or become leaders. Nothing has grown me more than leading in ministry because it's different. I can't get people to do something or follow something or move in a certain direction uh, because of uh, paychecks, positions, or power. Are you with me? It's, it's different, and, and it's a different uh, leadership structure, and I found that a volunteer organization can be one of the most challenging of all because you have to influence, yes, you have to inspire, yes, you have to message, yes, but you have to model it. You have to actually be an example. It actually has to work in your life, and it's interesting that you can follow leaders in the world, and they can tell you to do something, but they're not actually doing it themselves, and there's nothing you can do about it. Are you with me? But I believe there's something more where God wants us to not uh, lead people or follow people just because of title, position, perks, and paychecks. God wants to uh, develop leaders who are making a difference from a different point of view. And, and so he's looking for leaders. Why? Because he wants to influence the world. It takes leaders to lead other people. And how many know that we are in desperate need in our world for good leadership today? Can I have a better amen out there? Okay, and so that's why it connect like we, 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 don't, we don't just have small groups. We train leaders who will lead those small groups, who will, in a sense, pastor you in a small community. That's why we have a, a leadership school, a leadership academy, which, by the way, starts next week, everybody. Over 100 students that are, are part of that leadership school. And, 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 and we're not just going to class just to learn stuff, but it doesn't translate. It doesn't impact. It doesn't apply not only to uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, but also the world. 
And so we're committed to that. Even as a staff, you need to know this, and sometimes you may not realize this, but we're constantly trying to grow as leaders. In fact, this coming Tuesday, we'll take 30 to 40 leaders, and we're taking them out of state to be trained all day for professional uh, and ministerial development. And we're doing that all the time. And I, I don't think sometimes, I think people think sometimes, maybe not you, but some people might think this all happens by accident. Just all comes together. Everybody just, everybody just wants to do a noble thing, and people just show up. And, you know, can I help out? Can I help out? It's a little more than helping out. Yeah. We're doing something that's making a difference for the kingdom of God and requires great leadership to be able to do that. Amen? And so, humbly, let me just say, because I, I don't think sometimes, I'm just saying this to position the rest of the message, but as a marketplace leader and also as a, a, minister, a minister, a pastor, uh, what does that mean? I'm a pastor of a church, but we also, maybe you don't know this, but we have, we have other, we're a nonprofit organization, religious organization that has other businesses. Many, many, many employees uh, in this particular ministry. Three early learning centers, a private Christian school, and then we, we serve people in the Dominican Republic, hundreds of children in the Dominican Republic. I'll tell you more about that later on. But as a president, CEO, pastor, I believe what I'm about to say with all of my heart, and here's our series' big idea. Followers of Jesus should be the best leaders on the planet. I say all that that I said before because I want you to believe this and just get it like tattooed on your spirit. Followers of Jesus should be the best leaders. In other words, when people come out from there into here, from the street to the sea, they should look around and just see, oh my gosh, it should be shazam, wow, these leaders are no joke. They're good at what they do. There's a spirit of excellence, not just excellence, upon them and upon that church. I believe there's a leadership stamp that is supposed to be on the church of Jesus Christ, and I believe it is on Connect Church. Can I have it? Amen. amen. Just had a guy last service, first time ever being here. He's, he's uh, from France, and he's, he says, I'm leaving the Catholic Church to come into the Christian Church, to the Protestant Church. And he was overwhelmed, a lot of it by the excellence he couldn't believe the worship team. He's like, those are all volunteers? I said, yeah, they're all volunteers. I mean, and, and, and that makes a difference. It matters. Can I have an amen out there? It matters. So if, if followers of Jesus should be the best leaders on the planet, why? Why is that true? I think because Jesus is the greatest leadership example of all time. And I'll quickly make a case for that. You might be a, a pre-believer, as I like to say. And you're like, come on, Jesus, the best leader on the planet? Like, be real. All right. Okay. Okay. Let's do an experiment for a second. Uh, just raise your hand if you are a leader. Raise your hand if you're a leader right now. You're a leader right now. Okay, interesting. Okay. So about a third of you raised your hand. Here's my suspicion about the other two-thirds of you. Either you have sweaty armpits and you don't want to raise your hand <laughs> and scare your neighbor, or, <laughs> or the reason why is how you see leadership. That's why I'm here today. That's why I'm on assignment. You might see leadership fundamentally for some reason as a position, as a title, as a post, as a specific uh, role, as something on an organizational chart. And that is why many people don't raise their hand or see themselves as a leader. But leadership isn't really that. That's not what leadership is. Leadership bare bones at the core, in essence, in a word, leadership, listen, is influence. I got a yes from over here. Can I get a yes from over here? Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. Amen? Yeah. 
okay? So every, because if that's true and you believe that, you're not just repeating that, that every single one of you in this room has some degree of influence. It could be over one person. It could be over a 1,000. It could be over tens of thousands of people. You all have influence because leadership is influence. Some of you have a lot. Some of you might not have a lot. But you could be a single mom. Don't underestimate your influence over maybe a single child or several children. You have no idea how much you can shape and fashion their futures. Sometimes we underestimate our influence. It could be a teenager. You think, I don't have any influence. I haven't done anything yet. Well, you know, there could be some truth to that in certain areas. But you have influence with your peers. And you can choose to be a stronger influence on them than they are on you. Uh, kids, little kids have influence. My grandson, Zion, is five years old, and he has influence. His little brother, Ezra, does whatever Zion go does, good or bad. Okay? Zion even has influence on us, his grandpa. Like, he can get us to do things that we don't want to do. That's influence, okay? Sometimes you think, well, because I got older, I don't, I don't, I, I, I've done that. I've been there. I bought the T-shirt. It's over. No, grandparents, you have influence. I just read a study recently that, that, that the next generation, more than any other time in human history, next generation is looking for leadership from their grandparents. We have underestimated assignments that God has given us to lead in our world. And so every person has it, and if that is true, then no one has influenced, this is my case, I'm going to make quickly, no one's influenced the world more than Jesus. And the reason I'm going to tell you that in just a minute, but think about the influence Jesus had. Jesus has influenced our calendar. Time itself is split in half because of one man. Jesus has influenced our celebrations. The two greatest celebrations in human history around the world are Christmas and Easter. Okay, it's because of this little baby that came into the world. It's because of this man that lived a sinless life, died and rose on the third day that we celebrate one person, everybody. And, and sometimes we don't see its significance, but it's major. John Ortberg said this. He said, imagine if you lived 2,000 years ago and you were a gambling man. And you had to put money down on who would have more influence. The Roman Empire which then ruled the then-known world, or this Jesus Jewish carpenter from this little podunk town Bethlehem, from this small country Israel the size of Rhode Island, who had 12 unschooled, uneducated followers. Which one would you gamble on? And it seems so obvious to us now because we know the implications and we know the impact that Jesus has. But it's interesting that that we, didn't, we, we might not have seen it back then. But what's interesting today is that after all these years, we name our kids after Jesus and his followers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mary, Martha. But we name our cats and dogs Caesar and Nero. <laughs> no one has influenced the world more than Jesus. Can I have an amen out there? So, 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 we need to stop emphasizing, if you buy into the premise, the world's models for leadership. We need to buy into Jesus' model for leadership because it is the greatest model of all. So I want to talk to you today about the heart of a leader. 
The next week, we'll talk about the value of a leader and then the need for leaders in week three. And what the Bible says about the heart of a leader from Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, very familiar text. It'll come up on the screen. Above all else, guard your, guard your heart. Now, what's so amazing is it says, why? It says, for everything you do, think about the implications. Everything you do flows from it. It comes from the heart. But yet, in our world today, if you, if you are a leadership, uh, you know, student, if you, uh, you know, when I look at the books in my library, it's 10 to 1 leadership to something else. 10 to 1. I don't know how many books I've read on leadership. A lot. And what I've discovered, and you have too if you were spending time kind of breaking this down like I am, is that most of the leadership books that you read help you with two particular areas. The outer circle would be of, of those things is what you do, if you can show that graph. The, the leadership skill acquisition, the, this is, if you do this, you'll be successful. That's the common kind of leadership model that we see in the world today. And then the upgrade for that is, no, it's not just what you do, it's how you do it. Now, this comes into, like, approach and, and your philosophy of what you do. And it's really the culture sometimes uh, that you carry. And I think both of these are very, very important. But most of the books, if you were to distill them, the leadership books that are out there in the world that are not Christ-centered, none of them address the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter has to do with why you lead. The why the why is so important to leadership. If you lose your why, you lose your way. If you lose your why, then your do and your how will fizzle and fade. Or it will let you down at the end of that road. Is everybody with me right now? So Jesus is really the only model that addresses the heart of the matter. The why we do what we do. So what is in your heart regarding uh, leadership? The subject of leadership. Why, what is, why would you want to lead? What is your want to, your motivation for this? And I want to give you two motivations that I learned from Patrick Lencioni, a, a very famous uh, author, written some tremendous books. But he gave me these two ideas, and you can't really beat, beat them the way they're described, but the two primary whys or motivations for leadership are, number one, rewards-based leadership, and, or, and the second is responsibility-based leadership. Responsibility-based leadership is, in a nutshell, the people around you in your sphere of influence, you feel responsible to serve them, care for them. This could be your kids if you're a mom and a dad. It could be your friends and your friendships. This could be your neighbors, your coworkers, whatever. You're, you feel a sense of responsibility, and there's some compass of Christ within you, I think, that motivates that. But then the most common model or motive for uh, leadership today is this rewards one. And this is the one that I want to highlight and, and, and make sure that you see uh, the contrast, but also the concerns with it. Rewards leadership is about you want to be rewarded. You're in it for perks. You're in it for benefits. You're in it for power. And not all of that is bad as long as it is uh, second to or subordinate to responsibility-based leadership. Is everybody with me? God doesn't want you to suffer unnecessarily. He, doesn't, he wants you to prosper. He's okay with you. Uh, you know, he, he's okay with you being the president of a company. You don't have to stay at the bottom of the, of the, of the ladder necessarily. Is everybody with me? Yeah. 
but it's the heart of the matter is it's not about the big salary, the big office, the, the big name on the desk, the, the placement on the org chart, and your name is always on the top of the competition board, etc. That, that particular type of leadership, at the heart of it, you're doing it because you want to be noticed, because you want other people to say, I want what he's got. And, and, and look at that guy and look at how he looks and look at how she looks and I want that. And, and it's, a, it's really a lot of it is about rewards or recreation. I want to be able to say yes to this, do that whenever I, whenever I want. And you can see the self-centered implications of this. And what happens is for those people, and there are some, who are successful, and I want to separate success from greatness in this message, but the people that are successful that get to the top, can I just tell you, as a person who's at the top of my little pond, like just humbly let me just say, I, 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 I always introduce myself as the lead servant of this church. It's almost never that you hear me say lead pastor. I always say lead servant because I'm being very intentional about being a humble leader. In fact, I always tell my spiritual sons and daughters, I will never be a master of humility, always a student. But it's really important that you're intentional with your language. But, that, but there's false humility and true humility. So false humility would say, I'm nothing. No, I'm the head of this organization. God has given me this. I've been appointed to this. This is my leadership responsibility, and I need to do a good job with that. But some people think that it's so great at the top. And, it, and there's truth to the fact that at the top there's privilege, but listen, there's also pressure. There's wonderful blessings, but there's incredible weight that comes with it. Maybe you're not as active and busy as you once were, running around like a chicken with your head cut off, but you are carrying a responsibility that honestly, if you don't get it right in the beginning, will crush you in the end. My father followed a man for many years, and uh, he was his business mentor, I don't believe he knew the Lord, um, and so he was uh, always aspiring to go to the top of anything he was a part of. He was the president of the organization. My father was following him. He was three steps behind him trying to get to the top, and then he left that company, went to another company, became very successful, ended up leading that organization, left that company, and then ultimately went to become the, chief, uh, the chairman of the board of a conglomerate of, a com of companies called American Brands, and once he had got to the top, he took his life. He took his life. And, and it really had an impact on my father, and, and it, has, uh, it has always stuck with me that many people sometimes are climbing a ladder only to discover when they get to the top, it's n the horizon is not a new horizon like we sang in the song. And it's not hello hope, hello peace, hello joy. No, it's not that. It's hell on earth. Because they were going after the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. Napoleon, when he conquered the then-known world, it's recorded in history, said he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer because he had built his whole life on success, not on greatness. Are you with me? And so which one of these did Jesus model? Clearly, Jesus modeled a responsibility mentality. And so everything he did was leading out of a heart, not leading to serve others, not leading others to get them to do what he says. And so here's our big idea, if you're staying with me. The big idea is this, and this is really going to impact our whole series. When you bend down to serve with the right motives, God will lift you up to lead. Amen. When you bend down to serve people, the best model is to serve people. God will lift you up to lead. You will be more influential because of your service of people. 
than trying to get people in this upside down. See, Jesus created a business model that was upside down. He, it's not a pyramid model where he's on the top and everybody's underneath. No, it's flipped. He's on the bottom and he thinks, I'm the servant of all. It doesn't mean he's not careful about managing his time and his boundaries and things like that. Clearly he was. He set boundaries. But he saw himself from the heart as a servant of everyone. It's quiet in this Catholic church. Praise the Lord. Okay, so when you become a servant leader, my, my um, encouragement to you is that you really become a true leader. You really become influential. Think about the greatest leaders on the planet. I'm not talking about successful people. I'm talking about people that after they die, they still have influence. Legacy leaders. Not even Christians. Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa. Think about these people. What? What is so significant about what they did? They were servants. They were servants, right? So Jesus gives his philosophy of leadership and the heart of it in a really powerful story from Matthew chapter 20. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 20. Is everybody with me right now? Here's what's happening contextually. Jesus is, he's, he's going to die. He's at the tail end of his life. And he's trying to download some things to his disciples. He's trying to develop the 12 with the heart of a leader because he's wanting to send them out into the world to change the world, knowing that he's going to leave. He's going to die. He's going to come back to life. But then he's going to send. He's going to go back. And so he's, getting, he's trying to, he's trying to uh, not inform them, but he's hoping they'll be transformed by him. Amen? And so he keeps trying to do this, but at this particular time, they're not getting it. <laughs> that he has come to serve. He hasn't come to, to dominate. And so what they don't get is they, no matter what he said, three times he told them, I'm going to die. And I'm going to actually make, I'm going to serve other people. And I'm going to be a ransom for humanity. But they, they, just, they just can't get it because they're convinced he's going to be a king. And he's going to rule, and he's going to dominate, and he's going to take over the Roman Empire, et cetera, et cetera. And they're basically thinking, and they're blinded by this, they're basically thinking, I'm going to get up close to him, and then as a result of my association with Jesus, I'm going to get all these perks and privileges. And so this story talks about that. And, and what's funny is, it's kind of comical, uh, two of the disciples come to Jesus, and they're wanting to kind of like, they're jockeying for position. They're trying to, like, get in tight, and they're going to beat everybody to the punch. Everybody's thinking it, but James and John, listen, this is what's comical, with their mommy, go to Jesus. And I think mommy's behind this a little bit, because mommy knows in a patriarchal society that if they get the perks and privileges, she does too. She's going to be able to shop wherever she wants and have a black belt and MasterCard for the rest of her life. Okay? Swipe, swipe, swipe. Anyway, so... So they go to Jesus, and, and uh, uh, the mother is kind of the speaker of the house, so to speak. Verse 25, it says, the mother of Zebedee's sons, James, John's mommy, came to Jesus with her sons, and she kneels down, and she says, Jesus, I, I got a favor to ask of you. And Jesus is basically like, woman, what do you want? She knows where this, he knows where this is going, right? And she says, would you grant of me uh, that, that two sons of mine, one of them you can choose, it's your choice, one of them can sit on your right, and one of them can sit on your left when you're in your kingdom. Now, they're not getting it. He, he was talking about the kingdom of God. They're thinking, no, king, over here. And so when that happens, Jesus, 
<laughs> just want to have a word with you. I'm asking for a favor. I don't care which one's on which side, but you can put James here and John there. Or you can reverse it, but I want them on your right and your left. Can you do that for me? And Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're asking, woman. And then James and John show up, yeah, yeah, we, we, we understand. Yeah, we can do it. We can. No, you don't know what you're asking. You don't, you don't understand the consequences of that decision. Because later on, what, what, they didn't, what they didn't see is when Jesus died, on his right and left were two other people on the cross. Had to give up their life. Not, not live for perks and privileges, but for sacrifice. And so they clearly have th- what we talked about earlier, this rewards-based uh, system that they're living by. They clearly it's about. In fact, the other disciples are, are, are watching this, and the Bible says the two, they became indignant with these two brothers, the other ones, not because they were so immature and asking Jesus. I can't even believe they'd ask Jesus that. Doesn't, don't they even know what he's... No, no, they were, they were upset because they got to him before they did. <laughs> this is funnier than some you guys are realizing. So that's the context. And then Jesus calls them all together, somewhere around verse 25, because I'm paraphrasing here, and he calls a timeout. He basically has the first leadership conference. And he pulls them together. Is everybody tracking with me right now? And he basically reveals to them the heart of leadership. And he says, guys, you know how everybody else leads. You know the rulers of the Gentiles, how they do it. They lord it over them, and they always exercise authority over people. You know that. So what is he saying? He says, you guys grew up in this environment. You know how the Romans are. You know how the magistrates, the governors, the Caesars, they all lead one way, top down. They all lead in a way to get to the top so they can tell everybody what to do and they can do whatever they want to do. And then Jesus uses these two compound words, these two compound phrases. They lord it over and they exercise authority over. That in the Greek refers to, the, the definition in the Greek is they, you're putting people down. See, responsibility-based leadership lifts people up. Rewards-based leadership puts people down, puts people down. Are you with me? So then Jesus uses four powerful words to them. Listen, but I believe they're to you and me too. He says this in verse 26. He says to them and us, not so with you. Not so with you. Everybody say that. Not so with me. In other words, he's saying to them, I don't want you ever, ever, ever for the motivation of your heart to be about you. It's about them. In verse 27, he says, and he gives the alternative model. He says, instead, there's a better way. Whoever wants to be great, not successful, great, I think they're different. Great leaders aren't just about money, perks, power. Great leaders are making an impact on the world that outlasts them when they're gone. Okay? And so he says, whoever wants to become great among you must first uh, be the servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Mm, I don't like that last word, Pastor Derek. I kind of accept the first word, servant, but slave. See, a servant, by definition, is focused on doing for others rather than oneself. But a slave is someone who's bound to obey the master's commands or teaching. See, people don't understand. When you gave your life to Jesus as Savior, you were also supposed to give your life to him as Lord, where you willfully decide, I become, by my own volition, a bondservant for Jesus Christ. I become a slave for Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I will listen to his teachings, and I will follow his commands. And many people aren't, aren't, didn't sign up for that. 
and, and, they're, and they're suffering for it as, as well. And so as a follower of Jesus, you got to decide, are you, are you bound as a slave to Jesus Christ? Did you sign up to be a slave for Christ? No, I'm a slave to no one. Really? Because as a Christian, you're called to be a slave for Jesus Christ, not just a servant of Jesus Christ. And so if you leave, if you lead, excuse me, for any other reason than to serve others, you're never going to be a great leader according to Jesus, ever. I'll let that sink in for a second. So servant leadership isn't a suggestion in the Bible. It's a mandate. It's a mandate, everybody. And so it's possible that you might be leading, but you might be leading the wrong way. It's impossible to lead like Jesus if you don't serve like Jesus. So he says in verse 28, just as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. And how did he do it? He gave his life as a ransom for many. So you don't have to get on the cross and physically die, but God wants you to take up your cross daily and follow him by laying down your life for other people on a daily basis. Are you with me? This is like... This is just like Bible teaching, but it has really cut to the heart application. And so I think Jesus is looking at the disciples and saying, have you been watching my life? Is there anything in my life that you've observed that's been trying to get everybody to do what I say? I've been, I've been trying to serve other people. And I came to serve in such a way that I would literally give my life at the end of the day for it. So listen, what does that have to do with me? What does it have to do with you? I want you to think about who are the people who have had the greatest impact on your life? If you, saw, if you just kind of broke it down, it's probably someone that served you. It was a servant leader that impacted you the most. It was a mom that served you when you were so sick you couldn't even get out of bed. And you feel you love her. You feel like it's a friend that gave you an opportunity that opened a door for you to get that job. And that job has changed your life. You, you, you feel like an indentured servant to that person. It's, it's a teacher. One teacher said, you'll never amount to anything, but it's another teacher and said, I see greatness inside of you. I remember I had one professor tell me, you'll never preach the gospel. You don't have the goods. I had another businessman who loved Jesus who said, there's a stamp of greatness upon you, and God's going to use you in a mighty way. And I am thankful for that man speaking that over me, and I feel, I feel his leadership had such an impact on my life. Who, who, who changed your life? It was somebody that served you, everybody. And don't you want to be that kind of a leader? I'm making an appeal as we kick off this series. Of course you do. But, but how? How do you know if you're that kind of a leader? Super fast, three markers that you have to wrestle with. Servant leaders are always trying to make others look good. Remember? We bend low, God lift us high. But we're lifting up people. Reward leaders always trying to look good. They always want the light shined on them, not on everybody else. I know you know this, but you don't want to follow people that are self-promoters. That's why I said I have to be a student of humility because there's a natural, my dad used to use this big word, proclivity, a natural inclination because of our human nature to self-promote. My wife is my truth serum, so when that comes up, my wife would be like, mm, I don't think you should have said it like that. Because that wasn't, that wasn't about Jesus, that was about you. And I'm very grateful that my wife has helped me with those, kind of helped shape that part of my character. Do you have people like that in your life? Do you let your wife talk to you like that? Do you let your husband talk to you like that? Because we, we need to make sure that we're promoting Jesus, making Jesus famous every day, not ourselves. Are you with me, everybody? Here's another marker. Servant leaders, they, a servant leader finds their approval and, and rewards in God and God alone. This is how you know, this is how you know you're in the right side 
a right camp. Reward leaders believe that self-worth equals my performance plus their approval. So I'll apply it to myself. I, I, if I'm living in the wrong side of this, I can leave this, this stage today, this platform, go home, and based on your approval and response and, what I think, and how I think I did will determine my self-worth. And you have, your, you have your way that that applies. And I don't have time to unpack all those things for you. But this is, how, this is a marker. This is how you can know. Which, is everybody paying attention out there right now? This is how you can know where you are. And if you live in the reward side, it will, it will suck the life right out of you. It's a terrible way to live. The end of that road is terrible. As I mentioned before with my father's mentor, I think it seals life, can even take your life if you're not careful about this. If I lived like that, if I lived based on the approval of last week's message, what you said, what you didn't say, how many views were online, I'd be all done. I mean, many people literally are determining, not so much in this room maybe, but many people determine whether they're going to come back to church based on how good PD was today. I think, I think that was pretty good. Last week was better. I don't know. Maybe we should go somewhere else this week, right? You can't live on that, right? You have to be faithful uh, to have the right heart as you lead other people. And you, again, you got to apply this to yourself. I can only use my story. But I know, I know there's, there, there was this one opera singer many years ago who performed one of his best performances. He was famous. And while he was done, there was a standing ovation. He walks off the stage, solemn face, his manager says, look, what, what, why, are you so, why are you so down? Every, almost everyone is standing up, applying. still, they're still going. Turn around, look at it. He says, it doesn't matter. The singer says, it doesn't matter. He goes, oh, literally, there's only one guy in the front row who's not standing. He goes, it only matters what that guy thinks because that guy is my vocal teacher. This man, and we can apply this to ourselves, this man knew that it wasn't the applause of the crowd. It was, he was living for an audience of one. And as Christians, we've got to come to a place in our life where we lead like Jesus, where we're not literally following Jesus and leading like Jesus because of what everybody else thinks. We're living for an audience of one and his approval and his approval alone. Can I have an amen in this house? Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good praise if you're going to clap. I want to live for an audience of one. This is for you, God, not for me. My last marker is servant leaders love hard and negative feedback. Reward leaders despise hard and negative feedback. The reason is because it's all about them. So I want to encourage you in this series to wrestle with these two kind of ways to lead. Rewards are responsibility. And what can keep us a lot of times as the worship team comes, what keeps us from moving forward is pride and fear. Now, we know pride probably gets in the way because we need to be, as mentioned before, we need to be leaders that are humble. Uh, humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking of yourself at all. And I think that's a journey. I think that's a process. And I'm not going to unpack it because that's a little bit clearer for you. Pride can get in the way. Self-promotion, pride. Look what, look what happened to Satan. Lucifer turned renegade, becomes Satan because of the pride ride. All of us have been susceptible to the pride ride at some point, and we got to work on that. But the other one, the fear one, is the sneakier one. The fear one is, is, is stuff starts to happen, and, and we, we start looking around. Oh, man, the market's, you know, in rough shape. Uh, there's a big downturn. Oh, my gosh, I, there's layoffs coming, and uh, there's a reorg. And when those things happen, we turn inward, not outward. That's what I mean, how fear can change you. And so you start thinking about me, 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 right? You're not thinking about others. 
fear. But God is your source, everybody, and he wants you to trust him. He wants you to make sure that you're always giving to others. If you're not giving, you're never receiving. You never receive. Now, you don't give to receive, but because you give, you will, you will receive. And so we got to see God as our source and not live in scarcity. That could be with money, could be with time, could be with your talent. But we always want to be serving other people. So I would just say, who do you trust? Who do you trust? So the million-dollar question, as I conclude today, is out of these two, rewards, a reward-centered leader or a responsibility-centered leader, which one are you? Which one do you want to be? With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you, would you just join me as we pray? No looking around, just being very still. I would, I would just testify that if it wasn't for Jesus coming into my heart and then surrendering to him as a slave for Christ, I would be and I still wrestle from time to time with this, I would be such a selfish, self-centered, self-gratifying, miserable person if not for Jesus Christ and submission to his teachings and the fellowship of his commands. He had to first change my heart supernaturally, but then I had to choose because of that to follow him, fully submit to him, to become a servant leader. I had to become a slave for Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Sir, man, boy, girl, have you fully surrendered to the whole package, not just Jesus is my savior. I want to get out of jail free card to get out of hell card. I want to make sure when I die, I'm with the Lord. But what about now here on earth? Are you serving? Do you want to be great? Be a servant, be a servant. And so if you're here today, first step, the first thing for you to do is to accept that the only thing that can change your heart, your motivation is Jesus. Jesus is the only one I think. It's the greatest miracle of all is he can literally change your heart. But the only way your heart can be changed is if you open it up to him. And if you're here today and you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for you, whether you saw it before, but you see it now, if you see it now, he wants to come right into your heart. What happened 2,000 years ago has application to your life today to change you from the inside out. And so if that's you, would you just say, Pastor, that's me. I'm raising my hand as a sign that I want to invite Jesus Christ into my heart. God bless you. God bless you. Any, good and high so I can see it. Thank you. Two here. Thank you. Thank you. All the way in the back there. Thank you for your courage. All the way in the back in the middle. Thank you. All the way in the left over there. Thank you for your courage. It's so good. So proud of you. That's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to pray with me. Church, would you pray with them? And then I'm going to lead the rest of you in a prayer of surrender to God. Just say this. Say, Jesus, today's the day of salvation for me. I can't change my heart. It's selfish motives. It's gravitational pull towards sin. I can't change it without you. My righteous acts, my attempts to do what is right fall short. It's your righteousness, your perfect sinless life, your sacrifice for me on the cross. I accept was payment once and for all. And I believe you rose from the dead, giving not only others, but me the power to overcome in this life as well. In Jesus' name. Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, I pray you seal their salvation unto the day of redemption. Their name is now written in the Lamb's book of life. Angels in heaven are rejoicing. They're all singing, even as we sing, all hail, hail King Jesus. They're singing as well. And so we worship you, God, in this place, and we ask that you magnify your word now as we worship you. Church, I want you to stand to your feet. I pray that every single person in here would have the heart 
of a leader, a heart like Jesus. Amen? Come on, let's worship him. Come on, let's magnify him. Let's give him our best praise in Jesus' name. Amen.